0: welcome to another episode of problem busters with myself jonathan and the honorable ollie g'day hello everybody and how are you jonathan I'm well, thank you. I'm well. I'm pretty excited today. We have a first. We have a, a first uh, repeat guest, and he has brought
1: uh, a companion as well. So That's amazing! Um, yes. So welcome, welcome, Adriana Khan, um, who is a youth climate organizer and senior fellow with ACE, soon to be defined, and. Hakeem Evans, who we've had on before. Welcome back, Hakeem, who is a founding board member of Climate Emergency uh, Advocates. I almost got it without making a mistake. Almost. Um, (laughs) Both coming live and direct from the Big Apple, New York City. Welcome.
2: Hello.
3: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me again. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm quite
2: pleased
1: that you decided to come back because you know jonathan and i talk to guests and and we say hey did you enjoy being on the show and they say yeah and we say would you like to come on again and they're like yeah and then we think did they really mean it or were they just fired up after a really fun episode so thank Easier you for proving.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah awesome. well people's awesome. diaries are busy yes yes i i initially f- thought that we scared you off Hakim I'll be honest I'll be honest my our questions surrounding the climate emergency but uh you're you're here for round two which is which is great and uh you've bought uh Ariana so um Ariana could you just give us a bit hey I'm sorry I did
2: not know if my mic was working but
0: no it's it's fine it's fine (laughs) it's nice and clear as well which is good which is good yeah Yeah. Okay. So uh, welcome. And uh, could you just give us a bit about yourself and how you got involved with ACE?
2: Right. So hello, everyone. Again, my name is Ariana Khan. And I was originally born and raised in Bangladesh, which can be said to be that intro to my climate journey. Um, I witnessed annual floods growing up there, missed weeks of school, um, dealt with a lot of environmental health issues, but I had no idea that any of that was related to climate change until I moved to New York City in 2010 and shortly after Hurricane Sandy happened. Um, I decided to look into the parallels of all the climate impacts in Bangladesh and New York City and realized, wow, I never learned about the climate emergency um, in my formal education. And that led me to join a nonprofit organization, which eventually led me to a fellowship at ACE. And I've been in the youth climate movement since. Um, I don't know if that answers the question. A I wish way. I could <laughs>
1: explain my life journey in s- so few words. Well done.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I no, I tried my best. It's like, how can you sum up the climate emergency? And it's like, oh, that's just my life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so first things first, um, I think it's good to um, to define ACE. And as I understand it, ACE has recently had a rebrand and a refocus. So, um, so do you want to just define it? And then I think you were going to throw to Hakeem for the why the name changed. Is that right?
2: Right. Um, yeah. So when I first joined AIDS, it was called the Alliance for the Climate Education, and they recently rebranded to the Action for the Climate Emergency. Um, and both are super relevant. Hakeem can explain the name change a bit more than I can.
3: Sure, no problem. Um, even though we still focused on ed- educating youth, We took a turn with the help of our Youth Advisory Board and came up with a new name and logo, um, Action for the Climate Emergency, which speaks to the scale we need to address the climate emergency, which is imminent, and how we can not just focus on educating but activating young people to take action on the issues that affect them. So this is where Action for the Climate Emergency comes in. Just giving it the name emergency means we're, we mean business and we're here to take action and help young people to take action.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And so Ariana, what caused you to um, get interested in ACE and, and then what, what was this, this process of, did you say you were a, a fellow?
2: yeah. Um, So the first nonprofit organization where I even learned about um, the science behind climate change was called Global Kids. And I got my introduction to like political organizing there as well, because we were fighting for this bill in New York City that would mandate climate education as part of the formal public school curriculum. Um, It did not pass when I worked on it. Uh, It actually passed last year. So it took a couple of years, but uh, after my work with Global Kids, I was looking for similar work and I ran into the Alliance for Climate Education at the time. They had local fellowships all across the U.S. And I obviously joined the New York City cohort where I met Hakeem and have not let go of him since. (laughs) Um, And... We essentially received training on grassroots organizing, on um, how to teach others about climate change, and how to have uncomfortable conversations around the climate emergency. And that pretty much snowballed into all of the organizing and policy work and the scientific work that we do now.
1: Well, we've definitely got the right people to uh to give us a bit of a, an insight into the climate emergency, right, John? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And, and I think one of the key pieces that you just mentioned was that you, there was a bit of trouble getting a bill passed um, to have um, sort of climate taught in schools, and it was only recently passed last year. Um, in your view, what kind of effect does sort of partisan politics take on climate policy?
2: Um, it, I guess when we try to reduce the climate emergency down to a political issue and nothing beyond that, we get very stagnated when it comes to taking action. And that was evident in something as simple as trying to teach middle schoolers and high schoolers about the science of climate change. Um, and I know the words... words like the climate emergency can sound scary but that shift in language has been so necessary to address the urgency of the issue um and partisan politics sort of wants to dominate the language that we use or how we address the public or our young people um and kind of it 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 snagnates them from taking action so from from my perspective that was the effect on the youth climate movement obviously we have worked really hard to not be stagnated and we have taken action um but it it shouldn't happen up to like young people think adults could have done a better job and i say that as an adult now
1: yeah i agree <laughs> i agree yeah. and do you know do you know i can clearly remember my dad saying that to me love you dad um and and just saying look i you know i feel like my generation has really failed your generation. And, and he, uh, he was an adult, I guess, in the 70s, and he moved out into the country in New Zealand and he built a house, um, half of it himself, um, carefully positioned so that they didn't have to chop down any large trees. Um, like, they really tried, you know, and he still felt like they hadn't done enough. And I could totally see that feeling. So something that... I've often wondered about Ariana, is Bangladesh, right? Um, a lot of friends from that part and colleagues, I guess, from that part of the world talk about rivers and them running downhill and deltas and rivers terminating in Bangladesh and that creating this feeling in the area that if we pollute, it all ends up in Bangladesh. Is that what it was like growing up? Like, did you have a feeling that? that uh, that the region's pollution touched you? Or was it just, this is my life?
2: Um, absolutely. What I grew up with, I watched the city turn into a city. I was born in the year 2000 and um, I was born and raised in the capital city, Taka. I literally had mango trees and um, jackfruit trees outside my apartment building. And I eventually saw all of that being cut down as I grew up trying to make space for a booming population. The rivers that ran through the city, I saw them accumulate more and more plastic and more and more runoff from the factories. And it was just a very jarring childhood because it was a beautiful one until it wasn't and until we moved to New York City. Uh, So that is absolutely true. And Bangladesh has such insanely fertile land because of those deltas and because of those rivers. And I spent a lot of time not only just in the city but also in the villages, in my family village. Um, we used to grow our own food. I come from generations of farmers. Uh, Every year that I went back, you know, before moving to New York, or and even now, like when I go back, more and more of that land is becoming less fertile. Um, we can't grow our own food. Literally, like, when we plant things on the land now, it does not grow because of the polluted air from nearby brick factories because of the runoff in a, in the nearby rivers. Um, so it's, it, you know, that's definitely not an assumption. Like, I have living evidence of that. And, of course, on top of that, like, the scientific research says the same thing.
1: Yeah, there's, there's something... Um... Really sobering about hearing things from people over a course of a few years, but then finding out that they are accurate—not um, just conjecture. It's—it's it's sad, isn't it? Because I just sometimes I think about it and I think, why does it have to be growth? Why does everything have to get bigger? Why does there have to be more people? Why do things have to be more expensive? Why do I have to have more stuff? And where does this end on a um, on a planet that is constrained? Um,
2: yeah and I think the most um sobering part of that was I was that I didn't realize what was happening while being in the thick of it. It wasn't really until I moved to this part of the world and I had a bit more resources and a bit more space away from like the immediate climate emergency. Of course like New York City is very vulnerable to extreme climate events and um have had to witness that too but like witnessing that in Bangladesh was a uh, was a completely different experience because I didn't know that I was in the thick of it. Wow.
1: What, what, what do you mean when you say that New York is very um, vulnerable to climate emergencies? Because when I think about the big apple, I think about Manhattan and shiny tall buildings and shiny new things. And I don't, and I, I guess it's the river Hudson, right? Um, is, is large, but where does the, Where does the risk come from is it from the river or
2: yeah um the risk comes from well first of all new york's uh when we think about new york city and we think about manhattan it's kind of all just smoke and mirrors because hakeem and i live in another borough called queens and you know when you just get away from like the beauty of the city realize how vulnerable you are you realize oh my you realize that oh my god like we're literally just a collection of islands. Um, In Queens, we have a a nearby place called Long Island, and the name is exactly what it sounds like. It's just a very long island. Um, When you come in through the airport, you can see that a lot of this land is already like a little bit underwater. Um, So yeah, so when I say that, you know, we are very vulnerable to the climate emergency, I mean, we are very vulnerable to hurricanes, to really insane storms like our recent snowstorm that happened two weeks ago. I was actually stuck in Miami for three days, which is not the worst place in the world to be stuck in, <laughs> but I could not come back home uh, on the back from on the way back from a different place because of this storm. Um, so there are these extreme like weather events, and on. Um, top of that there's this there's like a really bad distribution of resources to the point where folks are still rebuilding from previous hurricanes and, and this that is where just I'll...
1: blows me away right because yeah. New York is like the second financial capital in the world after the one that um, Jonathan lives in London right <laughs> So well, I
3: can also um, speak to this since um, where I live Far Rockaway it's A peninsula in New York City that was devastated and um, the economy is still devastated by Superstorm Sandy from 2012. To this day, there are um, houses in the neighborhoods that have not been raised or have been completely wiped out. Businesses that are still shut from that time. And the only redevelopment that's going on is due to gentrification. So um, also, I'm just a few blocks from the airport where I go out, I see water on both sides. So it's easy to see um, the, the impending effects of climate change coming in the form of sea level rise and storm surge, and it's easy to see how vulnerable or infrastructures. I remember um, in 2012, politicians were saying it's disastrous to think that something like the 9/11 memorial could be sunk underwater. That it's un-American to even say that. And guess what? It did happen. No. Um. So the city is very vulnerable, and it's been predicted that by 2100, most of the city will be underwater. And it's clear to see, even from
1: this um, timeline. Yeah, wow. I mean, that that definitely sounds like an emergency, Jonathan. Yeah, definitely. One
0: of the most interesting things, as well, is um, is Ariana and Hakeem have both experienced Hurricane Sandy, right? And um, yeah. Ariana's sort of uh, um, migrated from uh, Bangladesh. And Hakeem, um, forgive me if I, if I get this wrong. is from the Caribbean as well, from the same place, John. <laughs> yeah, there we go, there we go. Um, and uh, yeah, both Hurricane Sandy has left a, an imprint on 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 their lives, right? And um, it's just it's just a magnitude to be fair. I mean, yeah, if.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. i mean i've always wanted to ask hakeem this question um too but did you Ooh, when, Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. when, when you um and like immigrated to new york city with your family did you think that like we would never have to witness flooding or any of those extreme climate events again because like i certainly did
3: <laughs> that was never on my mind um Growing up in Jamaica, islands surrounded by water. I was more concerned if I'd have a crocodile in my garden after a hurricane. I was never worried about flooding, to be honest. Um, You could say I was ambivalent because I was young. It wasn't my responsibility to know much of this, and it certainly wasn't my responsibility to act. It was after immigrating that I realized, whoa, this is happening. And it makes sense because I connect um, my experiences growing up in Jamaica to what I'm experiencing now. And that's helped me to view the climate crisis in different scopes, even if it does include a a hell of hindsight. Which is twenty twenty, but not good for um, seeing the future scope. But it has helped um, to give me some kind of direction. But it, I never had the preconceived notions of the environment, environmental justice, or the climate crisis before coming to the U.S.
1: Yeah, it's interesting Mm. because you know the to me growing up in New Zealand, far, far far away from everybody else <laughs> is uh, you, know, you know I was living on a hill um, I remember saying to mum and dad when I was about 10 years old maybe a bit younger so you know these tsunamis that happen and they can really damage everybody's lives and um, do you think we're safe and they were like oh look there's no chance of that it's not going to happen and I was like no no I really need to know how far up the valley is it going to come? <laughs> and, uh, and dad calculated it for me, bless him. And, uh, and, <laughs> so. and we, and once we realized that it could never make it to the top of what we called a Ridge, but a lot of people would call a small mountain. Um, I was like, I'm safe, but that's as far as it went. Right. You know, like I, I remember seeing things for world vision and, um, and, uh, I remember Ethiopia having a famine when I was a kid and looking at it and just thinking, how could a place be so dry and so hot and so short on food? And it, it never really occurred to me that that would start to happen here too, that it would happen everywhere. But the whole climate um, debate has completely changed in the last five years, hasn't it? Um, it? It feels like it's real and it's here and we can't ignore it anymore. Do you two get that feeling?
2: yeah um, so. yeah absolutely Hakeem you wanna you wanna talk a bit more about far Akaway because I think that happened around the same time that we were both in the ACE fellowship and we were just trying to make sense of all of it
3: oh I mean Superstorm Sandy was in 2012 um before our engagements with um climate justice but seeing the effects um to this day and to this point is really what's mind-boggling um seeing um something that happened when you were a child that didn't get better per se and to this day it's still not getting better that it, it takes you back because to this day the house that i'm in it has a marker of where the water level came up to. And just seeing that marker is mind-boggling because it's very high. And for reference, the size of the peninsula, Far its it's not that wide. So if Storm Surge was to rush in at full force, We're all at Mother Nature's mercy. And this goes into talking about the importance of politics in the financial industry. Flood insurance, usually not covered in flood zones, but lawmakers making zoning laws aren't telling people stop building your house here or giving individuals the resources to
1: vacate flood prone areas or communities that are not safe. Yeah, that happened in Brisbane, actually, Brisbane City. And when I was living in Australia, that a a change in state government led to a floodplain in Brisbane that had never been built on um, being zoned for buildings. And can you guess what happened a few years later when there was the next flood? Um, There was a lot of um, what they called act of God moments where um, policies were not, were invalid because a flood was seen as an act of God. Uh, And I think it was 30,000 homes that many of which still haven't been repaired, um, yeah. Yeah, oh my so,
2: goodness.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not just
3: happening in small third world countries, it's happening everywhere. And those with the least political pull and the least um, economic pull, they're facing the brunt of this
1: emergency. Yeah, so, yeah. So how how did you turn that into doing something about it? Like how how did that how did that work for you, Ariana? As you started to get involved in the fellowship, and you were talking about learning to educate and to talk to people, um, how does that work? What do you do, and how do you see that? Um, how do you see that starting to make a difference around you?
2: Right. So you know, like when Hakeem and I met at the Ace Fellowship, it's it's a few years after Hurricane Sandy, but I was still trying to make sense of it and I was still trying to make sense of it in parallel to my experiences in Bangladesh because there I literally um, had to go to school in the city by wading through like sewage and flood water that came up to my neck because I was a little kid um, and I didn't think that something like that would happen in New York granted I wasn't waiting through flood water but I was missing school because subways our our transportation system uh, which is like underground trains literally got boarded up um, especially in Queens where um, where I live and uh, for reference uh, the place that Hakim is talking about is also in Queens it's just uh, the edge of it closer to the water much closer to the water. So um,
3: in the water.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I I don't know if I should be laughing at that, <laughs> but this is how we're coping.
1: Yeah, it's a coping um, strategy, right? Like it it's yeah. it's unbelievable um that one of the yeah. one of the wealthiest countries on earth, um, and one of the cities that, you know, if you talk to anybody in the world and they say I'm going to New York City people think what a great holiday. Wow. You're so lucky. It's, it's such an exciting place, but nobody thinks about the people that live there and, and that they might still be living with floodwater marks. Right.
2: Yeah. Um, and, and also for reference, I went to high school in the city, but I, uh, grew up in New York city, maybe with like $5 in my pocket every week, <laughs> but we'll talk about that in a second. It's relation to the city politics. Um, but long story short, there were parallels between my experiences growing up in New York City and in Bangladesh. And um, in college, I actually did like a climate policy fellowship where I learned about the real estate laws and how like property that is below sea level or at sea level would essentially be useless in a couple of years. Um, and I tried to convince my family based on like that information and all of my climate organizing work, my family in Bangladesh, I had to convince them to sell all of their land that's been in our family for generations and try to move here because my dad still lives in Bangladesh. Like half of my family is still there. Oh, wow. Um, and they did not believe me. So, or they said, Hey, this isn't that big of a deal. Like we're getting by. So if you if, to get back to your question in a very long-winded way, how has this affected, um, how has this affected like the work that I do and like the people around me? Um, I'm still trying to convince the people in the thick of it to act accordingly, um, and you know it is really like because of all of the climate grief, and it is really hard to like accept what is coming. Even if we take immediate action now, places like Bangladesh are still not going to be able to fully recover from past flooding and what is still going to be coming. So, yeah, uh, that's the unfortunate answer.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I grew up in a conservationist science family, I guess, and, and uh, probably by the time I was about 15, I'd learned not to talk about it with people because i just end up getting too angry. Um, and I couldn't see a way they couldn't see, if that makes sense.
2: Um. Yeah, and, you know, I think as, like, younger me, I felt like my anger was justified when I was having conversations with climate deniers. But it's just heartbreaking having these same conversations with family that isn't the thick of it. Because I can, I can see that, you know, like where their climate grief and where their denial is coming from.
1: Yeah. So, how how do you help people? Um, maybe we talk about young people, because I guess that's where you've spent a lot of your time, right? In, in New York. How do you approach educating them in a way that's um, that's empowering rather than um, disempowering?
2: Absolutely. Um, the first part is, it has to do with a lot of honesty and the way that Uh, we are honest, you know, when teaching workshops or even just having conversations is by sharing our own personal narratives and our own personal stories with when it comes to climate impacts, because chances are like younger people now have also all witnessed some sort of firsthand climate emergency, um, whether that is in their hometown or a nearby town or the town of someone that they love. Um, and, and from there, you know, we, we tackle the climate science. And from there, we tackle action steps. So action steps could be, hey, like, how do you talk to your family member about this? What is (laughs) one thing that we can do? Um, in in high school, one thing that I personally did that gave me some sort of agency was that I would have conversations with my mom about our, our electricity bill. And how we could lower it by simply like turning off lights or switching to like a cleaner energy source. And like that kept me sane that, hey, like I can't control this overwhelming crisis, but there is this like one small thing that I can do.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And and what is it for you, Hakim, when, when you talk to people and when you want to, um, I guess, focus them, but not disempower them?
3: Well, first things first, um, I'm only headed for those who are receptive, not just to climate change being an emergency, those who are receptive to having a conversation in the first place. Um, I'm at an age where, yes, it's good for me to talk to people and, um, give um give them some brilliance but i'm not going to stress out over individuals not caring or um so basically i'm not going to beat a dead horse At, for the sake of my personal mental health that's not worth it to me but what i will do is have conversations for people with people who are On the fence, those who want to support but don't know how, those who support and want to do more, those who feel that they're doing too much but still could do even more, and giving advice to people who need to take a step back, those who don't care but have a slight opening. These are the people that are somewhat receptive and have even a spark. Of um of hope in joining the movement in helping to build it, those who would rather not just be full-on opponents, but not be caught up. These are or undecideds who can be a headache for those who do polling, coming election times. But for me, that's not my target audience because. At the end of the day, this is what I do for my sake, for my peace. I don't get paid for this. So unnecessary stress is something that I don't take on. And I'll encourage any activist or advocate to always um, put their mental health first, because what can you do if you're not the right you? Hmm.
0: Yeah, Yeah. that's really, uh, that's really quite powerful. Um, In terms of sort of uh, beating the dead horse or, or not placing yourself into situations where people will be combative, combative, or confrontational, when receiving advice or feedback on how they may be able to make a small change in their life, which adds towards a greater picture Right of of um, of tackling this climate emergency, do you have any advice or techniques to identify um, these situations where um, you may start a discussion with somebody and you wouldn't, you may not know them, but you're trying to advise them, um, but they there may be some pushback they're giving. If that makes sense. And you really just want to identify, okay, do I still go forwards with this conversation or do I preserve my mental health and my peace and my calm and I will go on to somebody more receptive? Do you have any techniques to try and identify whenever
3: you're in that situation? Mm. Um, It's an internal (laughs) indicator. Um, One thing I do say is definitely try to relate to them. Have them do more of the talking. And then while they're giving their story, their side, make some connections because you'll never know. Some people say they don't believe in climate change, but their families are farmers, which is weird because (laughs) they have a lot (laughs) to lose. Some people might um, love um, the issue of taking action on climate, but they come from a family of oil tycoons. These are the crazy <laughs> scenarios that do happen and we just have to help everyone find their way. Everyone has a story and some connection because environmental justice is an intersectional issue. No, Everyone has something they care about. So that is the springboard from where there'll be unlikely activists, um, and you just have to point out what's already present and give them the time yeah. to find it on their own. That's where you walk away after giving them the pointer or the nudge in a certain direction. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And I can see why ACE is so important, right? Because in, in on that topic of being receptive, there's nobody more receptive than young people, right? In terms of being able to, process to absorb and process information or new information hmm. um and they're not set in in that way of okay maybe i'm i'm slightly older <laughs> let's use myself as an example and i'm slightly and older big. again <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's a lot harder for, for you to convince me not to use my um gas guzzling vehicle um and maybe trade up for a smaller vehicle that does the same job just as efficient just as um, just as useful, but more efficient, right? Because I'm setting my ways, whatever that may be, branding wise, or, um, or you know, just the love of the noise, something, something trivial like that, right? Um, so, in terms of Ace and your your personal experiences, both Ariana and Hakeem, what sort of tools do are put in place to help um, spread that message to the more receptive youth?
2: yeah um it's i think storytelling is the first and foremost thing that we should be using and we do use just as humans in any sort of conversation um and it you know even if i like can't convince my family in Bangladesh to like move with that um combined with science it definitely works with young people and one thing that i have noticed as a scientist myself is that when I am throwing numbers and solely numbers at someone's face, they are going to either zone out or just not listen to me at all. Uh, and and it, the way to combat that, you know, when it comes to all of these like confusing statistics around the climate um, and talking about greenhouse gases, it's just to like, sprinkle in your personal experiences there as well. And as Akeem mentioned, it is super important to ask, fo- ask folks questions because chances are, like, people we observe things around us and right now we are living in a climate where no one is invulnerable to some sort of effect of natural disaster um and and so they have noticed things and they will make the connections themselves if you just use storytelling as a tool and you know and then you supplement that with the science and whatever
0: yeah 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 I, I agree. Statistics are, are not really useful um unless they have context, right? So that really storytelling. Them, Jonathan,
1: and when I can remember them, I want to use them.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the context. You have to tell a good story with them, you see. Or yeah. or, or, or represent the, the background surrounding that information. Um so I think Ollie, we could we could start having a look at at our our problem we're here to bust, right? Or just yeah. give a bit more insight. Into um, into COP26. Um, so my initial question, um, Ariane, is um, I believe you attended COP26 in Scotland. Um, so could you give us a run through of what COP is and uh, what was it like?
2: Yes. So COP is a conference of the parties and it was the 26th annual um UN or the United Nations climate change conference, where you had the whole world and a bunch of different stakeholders coming together to negotiate terms on how to tackle the climate crisis. The big agenda for this COP was uh, trying to figure out finances for the most climate vulnerable countries. So that would include places like small island nations and my native country, Bangladesh, and um. And I, yeah, I I was there for the first week.
0: Oh, nice. So in that first week, what did you get up to?
2: Yeah, um, I was mostly there as a young person and bringing that youth perspective with the action for the climate emergency. I will be very honest. You know, all these negotiations that I just mentioned. I don't even know if they happened <laughs> because there was <laughs> no way to observe them. It could be a complete myth. I'm just kidding it um they probably happened, but yeah, it wasn't what, what, super accessible what, what do you and mean there was it, no
1: way to observe them. Um, because when you, you say know, you if, went to COP26, I feel like, <laughs> I just imagine, maybe I'm an optimist, but I imagine you're in a big room with some, you know, and you had a seat maybe down the back, but you could see stuff happening and being discussed. Is that not what well... it was like? Well,
2: <laughs> <Oof. laughs> that is, no, uh, there were people in rooms, they just weren't young people. Uh, I don't know what they look like because the rooms didn't have any sort of like public viewing for the folks in the conference anyway. Um, You know how in most big conferences there are like screens up so you could see what's going on at like the UN plenary? That was not the case at this COP. And I received updates from news headlines while in Glasgow, Scotland, just like everyone else that wasn't in Glasgow, Scotland. Um, And my like most interesting thing that happened there was that I was protesting with like thousands of people outside of COP, um, trying to get fossil fuel, the, trying to get the fossil fuel industry, not be part of the COP negotiations, which you'd think is a given, but like that happened. What do you mean? Uh, in 2021.
1: What do you mean in terms uh, of being part of the
2: negotiations? They, yeah. Like there were actual representatives from fossil fuel companies um uh, or like people that were contributing to the climate crisis. Uh, some of them were even sponsors for different booths uh, within the conference. So, I Action for the Climate Emergency had their own booth um, in sort of like the more in like the, in the ground level of the the conference venue, and there were you know like booths from different countries. Uh, some countries from like the Middle East and. <laughs> And they like the boots are being sponsored by companies that are like oil companies. Um, and and it was just like insane to witness all of that.
1: Sorry,
0: Jonathan. <laughs> um, because there's a lot there's a lot to take in. Um, so is the is the is the fear um, that these oil companies may sway the political um, agenda for climate change? Um, for addressing the climate issue
2: absolutely and it's it's not only the fear but it's it's been the reality for most negotiations um when it comes to like different UN conferences and beyond that because these companies are big stakeholders of of the energy transition or what we decide to do with our finances um when it comes to like transitioning to a more green economy so that yeah yeah so even in ah. 2021 that was happening
0: <laughs> okay cuz um if if I was to play the devil's advocate right if we are moving away from these um uh energy companies that are creating these fossil fuel companies that are creating um a lot of the issues we have Um, would you want them to be involved in discussions with governments if it means that their business is sort of going to go under or would you prefer it to happen in a separate forum and then at cop keep cop completely you know between these these international states to, to speak about and not have any outside influence?
2: Yeah, this is way out of my scope. Oh. <laughs> right? But, but. <laughs> what, but since what
1: we're asking.
2: I can't, <laughs> since we're asking, right? Like, let us, let us do this hypothetical. Yes, um, definitely hypothetical. I, I, yes. So let's first think about the people showing up at these conferences. Let's think about COP as an institution before we even delve into that. At this specific COP, you had young people, historically so, like, showing up, right, because of their recent youth climate movement, like, uh, gains around the world, because of, like, the visibility of that. So you had young people from different places showing up. You have representatives from marginalized countries coming to talk about how to help their vulnerable communities showing up, Um, and... They like young people and these like, other marginalized voices don't always get a seat at the table. Now, if you are just doing that for show and also including fossil fuel industry voices at that same table, like h- how is that changing anything? So, yes, we are taking historical precedence, but are we doing it for actual action or for tokenizing these voices? Hmm. And next year's COP is going to take place in Egypt. And it's specifically going to discuss finances for the global South. I'm super interested in seeing how that like rolls out because are, are those voices also going to have to share space with the same companies that have like brought their demise? Yeah. Because that's, that's a lot, true. that's a lot I to think, deal with in yeah, the span I've of like I've a just one been conference. to
1: Egypt and, uh, all of the cities were in a haze, and wow. it and it just yeah. My heart went out to the people that lived there. You know what a beautiful mm. country with so much history, and you know they say that calculus was invented in Egypt, right? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and certainly writing things down, um, just amazing history. And uh, and I looked around at the people living there, and I just thought, I just feel like we could do better. Um, I just feel like like they would feel like. Uh, the global advancements in technology and people's increase in lifestyles had sort of passed them by, you know
0: yeah, and I think yeah. that's that's really powerful thank you Ariana, for uh, for giving me a bit more context on there um through oh, the wonderful and also... world of uh, hypotheticals <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um no
2: I... I want to add something like I Mm -hmm. just looked up the article, but the first draft of the Glasgow negotiation, I wanted to confirm this before I said it, did not use the word fossil fuels at all. Um, And they didn't want to phase out the use of fossil fuels in that first draft, specifically because there were negotiators from these companies um, going against that and like having any sort of accountability, even within the language of the draft. Mm. Can, so th- can I pose- that is very much not a hypothetical. Like that happened and it blows my mind.
1: <laughs> right. Can I just ask a maybe an inflammatory question? Um, something that, that I thought about quite a bit is, um, yes, the West and the developed world has boomed and has made the most of oil and has, in some ways, lived a really good life and had a, a, an oil party, as I've heard it called. Um, isn't it? a bit unreasonable of of me as somebody who grew up in the West looking at a place like Egypt and saying, hey Egypt, hey India, hey China, um, it's not okay for you to pollute like I did um, because the world's now in a difficult place. Um, you need to be smarter when you know they could quite rightly look at me and say, Mate, you, your whole life has been over-consuming and polluting.
3: I mean, it's the standard case of the pot calling the kettle black. In this case, both the pot and the kettle are being powered by fossil fuels. And it's a game of division for there to be an other. West versus East, um, developed versus underdeveloped, first world versus third world countries. And the point is, all countries have a responsibility to their people. To give them a safe and clean environment, and the finger pointing is, as we went into partisan politics, it's to give a base to the platform so that people will support politicians who knowingly collude with the fossil fuel industry, give them the the means to point fingers away from themselves,
0: yeah,. yeah. I really like that analogy, though. <laughs> the pot, <laughs> the, both the pot and the kettle are being f- fueled by fossil fuels. <laughs>
1: <That's> <laughs> but, yeah. Oh God, that's really. And, cool. and I, and maybe I've been in England for too long, but I'm thinking, who's getting that cup of tea?
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But so we're not England. <laughs> all of us. All of us are drinking the fossil fuel
2: tea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So um, yeah, this is why I like. I like. Um, uh, you know, this platform, Ollie. Um because without speaking to Hakim and Ariana, I would not have known these, you know, the background at COP26. Uh, I would have been, you know, just watching all the headlines or the, or the you know, the highlights of, of that whole conference and would have been oblivious to, to all that sort of background information. So that was, that's uh, so thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um what's also interesting is we have in London so where I'm based um there's not really much climate you know uh focus on on I guess the climate emergency there is in terms of we have this new ULES, um where It's the ultra low emission zone in the centre of London, where the government have come in and said, if you have a car which produces this amount of um, CO2, then you have to pay an additional um, tax on that or additional fee to drive your car towards central London to try and clean up the air, which is quite positive. Obviously, the reception wasn't as positive. Um, And we also have the sort of Thames barrier where it was built uh, i don't want to say like it was maybe 50 years ago i think it was to stop flooding in london and it was initially used a few times a year or once or twice and now it's used 6 or 7 times to stop flooding coming in which is uh, which is a bit of a concern it was supposed to be decommissioned in 2030 i think it is but they're going to they they now have long term plans are you finding politically and and these conferences are they really about stopping the root cause or is it kind of what we're doing now with these policies and um, and prolonging the life of different power plants and, and things to kind of push the climate discussion down the road to potentially when you're not in power anymore and, and somebody else takes over? Are you finding that?
3: It's definitely a horse and pony show and definitely not about action. I've been to a couple of these high-level events, um, namely the 2018 Global Climate Action Summit and the ratification of the Paris Agreement. Both of these included talks with um, government leaders in the room just spouting what they want to do by 2030. Apparently, the whole world will just be utopia in 2030 based on these (laughs) empty promises. But why COP was so mind-boggling is that they skipped out the showboating and the promises and went straight into the locked rooms with fossil fuel execs. And Mm -hmm. that is just mind-blowing. And whole time there were people invited to the, the summit that couldn't even get in to the building. And people invited just inside on their laptops and phones, just taking up space, while the real cop was happening away from prying eyes, not even media allowed in. So it's clear to note yeah. that a lot of these events um, are usually just showboat- showboating. Some have a bit of substance some allow marginalized communities to be heard but some are just straight up shows
1: mm. yeah.
0: yeah so would it would it be safe to say then that um cop for example i mean is on on a on a global view level um it it is a positive move in the right direction to have a a lot of the world leaders in one
3: place actually discussing the topic.
0: Would you have seen that really previously, previous to COP?
3: It has happened. Um, International conferences usually are for individual countries to make multilateral and bilateral agreements, Um, even if they're not um, open to what main conference is about it's a good scapegoat to have your own agenda pushed in private but it does serve a purpose to an issue especially when countries in the global north namely the us europe make a go-ahead and say this needs to be done and actually implement action and policies that Will support that.
1: Yeah, hmm. and Ariana, <sighs> yeah. you you actually ended up, I believe, outside of the event interviewing folks. Is that right?
2: Mm-hmm. So yeah, what, other young people. What sort uh, of,
1: what was their reaction? Like, what were you hearing from people?
2: You know, all of us were on the same boat, pretty much. Um, t- uh, we found the conference to be extremely opaque to the, and we, we couldn't we couldn't see like what was happening at the negotiation table or even really at plenaries. So it really brought up the question of, Oh, um, we are being allowed to take up space, but not in a very substantial way. That isn't to say that, Hey, we should like get rid of these, um, very showy conferences because as Hakeem mentioned, they do serve a purpose. Um, and the visibility does matter, but, um, their visibility is not the same thing as transparency. So when you have fossil fuel execs at the decision-making table negotiating with world leaders, um, that isn't transparency, especially if you know, we aren't able to hear what they're saying. And when it comes to really imperative, um, imperative agendas like trying to finance climate-vulnerable countries, that like transparency is super important because it's a matter of, of life and death for these communities. Um, and, and I really hope that like, and this is like all the young people that I spoke to, like we were really hoping that the next cop would be better. We were hoping that we wouldn't have to hope for the next cop to be better. Like that one was going to get it right. Yeah. But we're hoping for Egypt to do it better.
1: And, and (laughs) I guess what I kind of take from that is, um, it definitely put the climate emergency on the international media um, circuit to an extent, but I take your point, Hakeem, that, it's, that it felt, and it certainly seems like it was um, some people doing what they were going to do anyway without anybody else watching, I could totally see that. Um, so putting that to one side, if the job is not going to get done there, where does the job get done? Where do we start to see the kinds of change that we need?
2: I mean, those changes, uh, we haven't really been waiting around for international conferences for that because those these vulnerable communities that we're trying to finance, they still have to survive even before negotiations in the midst of impending climate impacts. Um, and local organizing is the way that folks have been doing that. Local legislation is the way that folks have been doing that. Um, there's a But the New York City recently passed its, like, own uh, version of a Green New Deal. It's called the Climate and Community Leadership Protection Act, which, you know, um, kind of moves a certain part of the economy to green jobs. Um, And it makes a bunch of different promises trying to address the uh, the climate crisis. And um, even though there isn't really federal legislation like that, we're hoping that it It kind of helps New York at least a little bit over the next couple of years as the bigger bodies of government try to get their crap together.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, what have you, what's really inspired you in terms of things that you've seen um, young people, maybe in the ACE community, um, the fellows doing? and um, the in the recent while because it would have you would have come back from cop and thought and felt quite disheartened right and been wanting to get into something positive and doing something I would have thought
2: yeah um young people have not been disheartened by cop or any of the recent <laughs> political news around the climate crisis Um we've still been organizing like my college campus is still creating collectives. We are still doing mutual aid within our own communities. Um, We are still organizing. And that's actually been brought more to the limelight in face of COVID. Because, you know, we've had the pandemic, and then we've also had recent climate events. Um, But I'm trying to get a community garden started um, as summer rolls around in my neighborhood in New York City. And folks are doing um, community fridges. Like we're trying to feed our communities. We are trying to still organize for local policies. And the work never really stops. Like, And I, I never thought that like going to Glasgow was going to be the end of the work. And it wasn't
1: yeah hmm. that's really cool yeah
0: yeah just just following off that point of of um you know back home and and not being disheartened by by cop um what can what can people listening now, what can they do at home to get involved and um make a change because throughout human history, I think that there's a, a lot of kindness and compassion and change has been driven by individuals and spread on a larger, you know, I do. I If somebody's good to me, I, I'm good to another person or another two people and, and it continues and continues. What can somebody at home do?
2: Okay, um, honestly, think about the most pressing issue in your own neighborhood. Um, for me, it's the fact that like I live in a food desert um, and You know, that might not at first seem like it's related to this other massive and overwhelming issue of the climate crisis, but everything around us is interconnected and all of these issues are interconnected. So when we take small ripples of action and individual actions, they are serving the larger solutions that we can come up with for the climate crisis. So like my way of staying sane (laughs) is... You know, working in community gardens or trying to get one started and like helping my community, like specifically in the neighborhood hmm. that I live in, in that way. Um, and, you know, like is is this legislative change on a, on a mass level, on a macro level? Absolutely not. And, you know, like nothing that an individual does is going to counteract what corporations are doing. But it is a place to start. And it is a way to see how interconnected not only all these like how interconnected not only all these issues are, but also how interconnected we are.
0: Huh. So, in terms of you mentioned the food desert, uh, that may be a bit foreign to some of our listeners. Would you Would you mind expanding on on what a food desert is?
2: Absolutely, um, and then I'll also talk about its connection to the climate crisis. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah so when you live in a food desert um you live at least a mile away from fresh and healthy food um and this is especially bad for low-income communities because if you live that far away you likely cannot afford a car to be able to go and get that fresh food the nearest thing i have near me like in terms of food is a fried chicken place um you can only have that for so many times so it's, it's um, And it's related to the climate crisis because, like, our global food systems, like, most of our food is coming from faraway places. Not only does that have a carbon footprint when it comes to, like, growing on a mass, like, industrial level, but then we have to transport that food from, let's say, South America all the way to America or from Asia to Europe. Um, and that's it's just very inefficient and and wasteful and it doesn't have to be that way you know if we have a little bit of public land if we have just the proper seasons we can grow our own food and feed our own communities but and and that could leave a big impact on like solutions for the climate crisis
0: yeah wow wow it just amazes me that there's one thing that humans have really done well which is I think Neil deGrasse Tyson said is the production of food the the overproduction of food. We produce so much food that uh people are are, are getting sick <laughs> because they're consuming too many calories, right? And the fact that we can do amazing things like put rovers on Mars and and satellites into space, you'd think we'd be able to clean up our supply chains, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it it almost sounds like it couldn't be real that you couldn't walk to get some fresh broccoli yeah. or some apples. Like that does not sound like you're talking about yeah. the United States to me. In New York. Is this New, York,
0: New area? York Yeah, in New yes. York.
2: <laughs> it's like Hempster yeah. Central, some parts yeah. of it. Yeah, right?
0: in New York. You can't find uh you know, I would expect a vegan pizza place, you know, the way New York is marketed. Like vegan <laughs> pizza places everywhere, you know, everybody uh in in a cafe with their with their laptops. But yeah, no. Yeah,
2: but there are disparities when it comes to neighborhoods. Yes, yes, yes. Um and unfortunately I live in a neighborhood that isn't or maybe fortunately isn't overrun by hipsters. Yeah. Um, I don't know, <laughs> then I would have to move. So. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I'm, you wouldn't I'm, call Hakima a
1: hipster. <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've <lovely.
0: laughs> <laughs> i've been i've been to new york and i had the i had the pleasure of sitting on the uh is it the c train or the d train from new lots all the way to manhattan and you can see the disparity in certain places at some point all the business people sort of get off and then when you start going through brooklyn it kind of starts to thin out
1: no, <laughs> and
2: yeah yeah
1: um and then so, you yeah. practice your spanish right that's one thing i love about you
2: <laughs> I, I just wanted to say you're an honorary new yorker if you took the c or the d train you yeah right. <laughs> <laughs>
3: you could definitely get a second booster after doing that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm telling you i've I've seen some
0: crazy things on the new york trains it is it's uh i was there for for i've been there repeatedly over the few years and at a month at a time. So I've been a lot of the public transport and uh, it is amazing. Central Park is an amazing place, actually, to be fair, to have that sort of st- strip of green in yeah. in amongst the concrete jungle. Um, but, and yeah, the
1: music on a... the subway, I liked that a lot. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and the
1: conversations with the musicians, right? Good people. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what about oh, you, Hakim? So, um, what, hmm. what, what have you seen that's got you inspired in terms of I... things young people are doing nearby So you.
3: currently
1: on my work with the Board of um, Climate
3: Emergency Advocates, which is an um, affiliate of ACE, we're doing work um, amplifying youth voices with storytelling by um, our creator collective instead of giving Facebook and the big ad agencies or dollars. We're giving it to content creators on TikTok and Instagram. For them to share their views on climate and help get the message out there, which has proven to be an effective tool. In addition to that, ACE also has launched action teams. So we're no longer depending on just the fellowship in key areas. We have about 150 action teams. So the action teams are doing work to help address the climate emergency at the scale that we need and is fitting for the name change action for the climate emergency. And the work that they're doing has advanced what ACE has been doing under the previous name. And we're just going further from here.
1: I've watched some of these uh, on on the website because I'm not on TikTok because I'm not young and cool enough. Um, but I'm uh, also not on TikTok.
2: <laughs> I'm also not on TikTok, so they are all cancelled. Thank, thank,
1: thank you for making I, me I think feel I'm bad. the only person on TikTok. Are you, you, so? <laughs> <laughs> amazing! But uh, I watched a couple of the clips and I thought this is a really good idea, right? Because um, social media has certainly amplified certain messages, hasn't it? Um, and in my case, and on my feed, it was that that awesome um French black and white video that was on YouTube about the cat and the cat that was really <laughs> miserable during lockdown. Um that's that's the message that got amplified to me, which tells you about the sorts of things I watch on YouTube. Um but uh it it's just really clever to start empowering people to create um to tell their story and to use something like TikTok as a free way to reach thousands of people, because that's kind of what it is, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: I think um, on that point of sort of creations and content and and telling stories, are there any books or films, um, Ariana and Hakeem, um, that you would like to recommend to sort of any listeners that, that sort of inspired you?
2: Hmm, Hakeem can go first while I look up the full title of this book. <laughs>
3: No one told us of a pop quiz (laughs) (laughs) Were there any
0: documentaries Because I think last time you said there was a Greta Thunberg um,
3: Was it a documentary? There was um, something on Hulu that I did mention Mm. Um,
1: What's that new movie? Um, Not new bands.
2: Look Up, Don't Look Up Don't
1: Look Up, right Awesome Yes Thank you Netflix for funding that Yes, that was great (laughs) That was a great movie (laughs) Yeah,
2: and I want to recommend this book uh, that I've been recommending to everyone, and I wanted to make sure I got the name right. It's Soulfire Farm, Um, and this book is basically talking about like Afro Indigenous centered community farm, Um, and they're based in upstate New York. I was very thrilled to like learn about the fact that you know we had like you know people of color farming because historically uh this country has not been very good at giving land (laughs) to anyone for sort of food sovereignty Mm. uh and yeah uh so i would read that book and uh, i i got halfway through it i'm still learning about like some of the techniques that they've used and implementing that in like my um gardening and like my family home so yeah definitely recommend
0: oh lovely lovely Um, last of the pop quiz (laughs) if there was one thing um, you would like our listeners to take away from this episode um, what would it be
3: don't stress yourself out Um, we have future generations working on this issue Um, we have an intergenerational team of people all over the world who care passionately about this we have young people breaking into politics all over the world to take action on what we care about the planet and our future. So breathe. I think that's an important message,
0: um and it's one of those funny things that people say but never really know. So it's, do uh, you know when somebody says, uh, "We've got people working on that"? I guess it's Hakeem and Ariana. <laughs> those <we laughs> are. <There's, there's laughs> are the people working on that. <laughs>
1: and a few, few hundred thousand friends. Yeah. There we but go. <laughs> So I've, I've got a question for you, right? Um, uh, so, Ariana, you know, we I guess you particularly and Hakim and the folks that are out there in the world, um, particularly talking to people about um, the challenges of the climate emergency, would hear a lot about the things we don't like, right? But if you were to imagine waking up into the inner world that you did like, what would that be like?
2: It would be one very similar to what my parents grew up in, believe it or not. uh, When they told me stories about jumping from one tree to the next and angering their parents (laughs) because they were being irresponsible by catching fish from the river um, or or just breathing (laughs) outside without, you know, having to worry about the air quality like that. It's a world that I want to wake up to. And I want my little brother to wake up to. Um, And I think it is one that we are trying to get back, and if not get back, uh, rebuild again.
1: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. What about you, Hakim? You wake up tomorrow and the world is the way you want it to be. What's it like?
3: I wake up tomorrow... And I am. I'm outside in the middle of the forest. I wake up to a cup of tea handed to me by, let's say, a bear. And all is right. <laughs> <middle>. I don't. <laughs> There's. I no- don't
2: think. I don't think that would be right. <laughs> in I mean, the bare hand of you the tea
3: <laughs> in my <laughs> idea, the animals love me um <laughs> and there's nothing crawling on me we have a nice thick vegetation clean air clean water and just good vibes um and i think we're missing a lot of that now because every the only time people want to talk to each other is to be down in each other's throats and what we have to remember in the world we want to see is that people are people are chill and they should be they they should remember that that arguing isn't the cure-all it might feel good in the moment but it's good to just commune with nature and with each other and just enjoy life
2: um, Hakeem, I love you and I'm gonna re- I'm not arguing with you. My little brother is going to listen to this episode and he's been coming at me about hugging a bear. And <laughs> I need you to make it clear that he cannot accept a cup of tea from a bear, nor should Sorry, he hug, that's
1: my final hug- answer. a
2: bear. <laughs> that's <not the> <laughs> no. Also also, you know, I
1: loved the I loved Sorry. the imagery. Sorry. But uh, but you you uh you may not have been in a rainforest lately, but there would be stuff crawling on you, right, buddy? <laughs> 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 and, and it's, you know, and it's okay.
3: my perfect world. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, I fly. think it, and, <laughs> I'm fly. pretty sure that, that tea, that kettle, had um, sustainable energy powering it. So I think we're all good. All boxes are checked.
2: And maybe <laughs> that there
1: was just a very hairy dude that was doing some farming nearby,
2: <laughs> right? <laughs> Okay, that is was fine. <laughs> if my little brother is listening to this. That bear is not okay. Harry yeah. Dudes fine yeah. too.
0: They, <laughs> they can hold the cup.
1: So, so what uh, about for- what about folks that are listening in in countries other than the US? Like I know Ace is is big in the US, but um, how could they go out and get involved in a similar kind of organization in a country near them?
2: Um, Um, This is
3: also coming to a country near you, so look out for that. Um, Similarly, civic engagement is much better in other countries, so I do know that civic organizations are out there that people can easily get access to. Um, For those in the global south, um, it's much harder to get the air off of your local elected officials or national elected officials for that matter. Um, did you
2: know that like Bangladesh young Bangladeshi young people got the government there to officially declare a climate emergency? So it is not worse in the global south. They are actually they're actually able to organize um thanks to like local chapters of larger organizations like Fridays for Future. And I met like Enjoying the Bangladeshi yeah, yeah like I met the Bangladesh um head of the the youth chapter um of Four Fighters for the Future while at cop and I had no idea that like these actions were happening in in different districts that are like usually not on the map when it comes to conversations about climate change in Bangladesh. So, yeah, no, like uh, we're not we're not the right people to ask. You should ask someone near you if you're listening in from so a country sorry about
3: that global south.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right, Ariana. That's that's the ticket, right? And and um, thank you for taking the time to come on the show and uh, and for doing what you do. Um, I just, I guess, one thing that makes me feel a lot better is knowing that eventually all people will retire, and folks like you and your classmates will be the people that are running the things. And I hope that um, that the experience that they've grown up in and the internet and listening to people like you and the ACE Fellowship um, and others will mean that they've got their eyes open when they start to make decisions.
2: Thank you so much for having us and yep, for giving us like a space where we can actually offer insights and not just be here as faces. Totally no dig at cop.
1: <laughs> yeah, fair play, fair play, yeah, guys. It's yeah. always
3: a pleasure being on the show. I can say that now because um, repeat guest. I have like two gold stars, <laughs> two, two gold stars compared to everyone else. So
2: you're so cool. <laughs>
1: Uh, it's a it's a pleasure and uh and Um, and maybe we can uh can have one or both of you folks back on when certain things happen that we want to talk to people about who know more about it than you and i john (laughs) yes
0: definitely definitely um would you like to let people know how they can find out more about yourselves and your um the organizations that you represent
2: so for ACE, um, you can find out more information about them and like any actions they have going on at acespace.org. So that's A-C-E-S-P-A-C-E.org. And uh, if you want to personally reach out to me, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter. They're all in my name. Uh, yeah. And, and LinkedIn are, are to people like use that. <laughs> Well, apparently that's
3: how they found me.
1: So,
2: definitely. Yes.
1: Just the old people, Ariana. Yeah, just the old <laughs> people. Just...
2: I'm still breaking in. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. That's, awesome. that's the thing about the online world, isn't it? That everybody's online, but they're all in their own pockets that make sense to them. And I think that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: Uh, and uh, Hakeem?
3: how um, people get in touch also with you find me find me on linkedin <laughs> and yeah. other social media um and you can also find information about climate emergency advocates and ace action teams and our creator collective on the ace website yeah and that is acespace.org um to That's our listeners long.
0: perfect um thank you again for uh, coming on on the show and giving us your views on uh, the climate um, emergency as well as an insider's look at COP26. Um, Again, uh, I would like to um, share our thanks to our listeners uh, who can find us on Problem Busters on all social media. So you just have to Google us um, thankfully, Ollie, SEOs kicked in, so problem space busters, and you'd find uh, and you'd find our podcast. So,
1: thank you very much. that's a thing. Thanks for yeah. listening, and uh, look after each other, and we'll see you next time. Ciao.